Hi everyone, welcome back to episode two of Shenanigans. I'm Kelly. And I'm Bernie, her grandmother, her nana in the Shenanigans. <laughs> and today we, what, what are we sharing today? What are we talking about? I thought I'd give you a child's version of the depression and move into polio, which came at the end of the depression. It was known as the Great Depression. What was great about it, I don't know. It was a horror depression. And I was born into it. So for many years, I didn't know any other life except depression life. Uh, kerosene lamps, candles, electricity cut off because we couldn't pay it. Uh, sitting around waiting for my father to come home with the food before we could eat. Uh, bailiffs coming in, taking what was of any value that my mother and father had. And apparently they, they must have given them some notice because I can remember my mother and her best friend dragging the treadle machine down the backyard and hiding it in the bushes because without that machine, Mum couldn't dress any of us. She used to cut the older ones' clothes down for the little ones to wear and make sew them up into dresses and pants and so on. And my brothers had short pants and always there was this great patches on their buttocks for years and years and years. I think they were about 15 before they went into long pants. It was a miserable time. So what year was that? This was, well, I was born in 1930, and I suppose I was conscious of it in 1932, 33, 34. And, uh, so all of your earliest memories would have been this horrible all, time? All of my earliest memories are about the Depression. And uh, we, we didn't have electricity, it was cut off. Uh, we used to do what was known as moonlight flits. When the debts became so heavy, my father would organise one of his friends with a car or a horse and cart, and we would pack everything into it and shoot off into another area, into another house. And it was colloquially known as the moonlight flit which you only did it at night, which said people couldn't keep track of you. Uh, there was a... It wasn't called the doll in those days. It was called the sustenance, known colloquially as the susso. And uh, I don't know how much it was, but it certainly wasn't enough to feed eight kids and keep a household running with food electricity etc so my mum used to cook on uh, an open fire with just a piece of tin across it and whenever we walked we went we looked for things to burn under this on the stove there was a wood allowance but it didn't last any time if you were cooking on it and keeping a whole family warm. 
and my older brothers and sisters who were at school were humiliated every day. An extraordinary thing. The people who had jobs took seemed to take great delight, or most of them, in spitting down on the lower ones who didn't have jobs. And the teachers used to say, stand up the susso kids. And my older sisters would have to stand up and get their books and their pencils from the government. And they, the teachers never did it on the quiet and, and they made them stand up in front of the class and humiliate them. And my mother used to have to have, uh, she was pregnant again, and she had to have orange juice for her vitamin C. And the older girls used to have to go up to the town hall to collect the orange juice. Once again, they were humiliated in front of people. So, you know, human nature is an extraordinary thing. And yet there were the people who helped you out and were there for you at all times. But those who had jobs liked to rub it in. So there was a real class divide then? Ah, it was a them and us, yes, definitely. So in that sense, the depression didn't affect everyone? Well, so if you had a a government job, which a lot of people had, you were okay, you got a wage. And there must have been other jobs where people got wages too. But if a job was advertised, there would be 300 men queued up to get that job. And my father had the greatest work ethic I've ever known. And he would go out at 6 o'clock in the morning and take any job he could could pick up to earn some money to feed his kids and any job he'd do. Uh, There was one time when he came home and said, I've been shoveling shit today. He was working in the abattoirs and had to uh, shovel up all the remains. But he came home with food. So I I don't know much about the Depression. What, What was the cause? What was the cause of the Great Depression? Apparently a big crash in Wall Street over in America. I think I was a child. I didn't go into the ins and outs of it, but I I think uh, listening to history over the years, it was the big crash in Wall Street and all the banks flopped, all the businesses closed. And uh, my mum and dad were buying a house down at... um, Woody Alec at the time, and of course, no money, no mortgage, we lost it. And from then on, we were in cheap little, grotty little places. A lot of them didn't even, as I say, have a fireplace. And uh, the, the bailiffs came in one time, and they took all the mattresses from our beds. They wouldn't be allowed to do that now. We were left with old coats to sleep on. I remember it vividly, the smell of the old coats. So what what is a bailiff? A bailiff is, uh, uh, well, how would you describe a bailiff? He is a man of the law 
who can come in legally and take anything of value from a person who owes a debt and they then sell that article and pay off the debt to the people it's owed to. So repossessions. Yes, so that was a, a bailiff. And they were, there were a lot of bailiffs in those days, a lot of people being uh, raided by the bailiffs. They sound mm. horrible. It was horrible. It was a horrible time, very depressing time. And uh, with eight kids, you can imagine what it was like to find food. And I only knew kerosene lamps and candles the first, I would say, four or five years of my life. Didn't know what electricity was. Yeah. And uh, and this is the thing, like, I actually can't imagine what that would be like. No, no, unless you've lived through it, you wouldn't imagine. You can't imagine what it would be like. And there was, uh, was a... We didn't have a we didn't get a radio till nineteen thirty five. It was known as a wireless in those days. Some of the older boys had what they called crystal sets, where they used to whatever that was. They used to listen in to the radio. But we got our first wireless in nineteen thirty five, thirty six, as we were coming out of the depression. What did that look like? Oh, it was a, a piece of furniture. It was like a, a chest and it had uh, fret, fretwork in the front and lovely pieces of uh, tapestry behind the fretwork. And up the top was the dials where you could dial the different and make it louder or and dial on. 3AW was a very favourite one. Um and 3db and of course the abc but uh, at the time there wasn't any entertainment we used to play knots and crosses uh my older sisters would read stories to me or tell me stories and uh, yes it was pretty miserable i find it difficult to talk about because it brings back the misery of my mother and father bursting themselves to keep kids fed and cleaned and clothed. And of course, uh, at the during this time came, uh, what would you call it, uh, the, the in the schools, the um, lice, head lice. Head lice. <laughs> head lice. And of course, uh, all those of our family who went to school brought home the head lice and the little ones caught it and uh, we didn't call it lice we called it boogies and you used to be able to get lice special uh, shampoo and kind no no we couldn't afford shampoo but you could get uh, combs combs uh, very fine combs we used to call it the boogie comb and what we you would do, Mum would put newspaper on the floor and we'd get down on our knees with our head over the newspaper and she'd comb through your hair and you could hear the boogies dropping onto the paper. <laughs> <laughs> lovely, lovely happy childhood <laughs> memories. <laughs> anyway, um, eventually... Um, 
she couldn't get rid of them on me and uh, she put she combed kerosene into my hair which caused an infection so I had to have all my hair shaved off shaved shaved off and I had to wear we wouldn't call it a beanie in those days it was a knitted cap to hide my bald head and when I would play with people and go into their homes, their mother used to say, what's, what's wrong, you're wearing a cap, what's wrong with your hair? Oh, what, what happened to all your hair? And they would, and I would squirm with embarrassment, never, never, ever telling them it's a boogies or the lice. You didn't mention that. It was a shameful thing to have. I remember even for me being in primary school, it was a sign of being a very poor kid. Oh, yes. If you had your head shaved because yes. of what we called nits. Nits, yes. Same well, it thing. was nits too, yes. We had the last, the full lice, which were little grey things with lots of legs, and we call them boogies. So, shaved. How old were you when you had your head shaved? Must have been about four. Wow. And it. Uh, and I got a big infection on the back of my neck. I have the scar to this day. There it is there. And uh, it, it swelled up. And the doctor was going to lance it. And thank God, just before that happened, it burst. And all the infection came out. But to this day, I have the scar where it was. Now, this is a miserable tale, but it was a miserable time. But slowly, slowly, things got better. We moved into better houses that had one fire stoves to cook on. And we didn't uh, have the bailiffs coming in. Slowly, slowly. And towards the end of it, my older sisters... The three of them all got jobs, and that helped a lot. And Dad seemed to get into a steadier job again, too, in the car industry. And we got a wonderful, wonderful old Dodge car, which we called Leaping Lulu. And it was uh, one of those cars that had steps on the outside and didn't have wind-up windows. It had curtains that used to clip on. Most of the time we'd travel without the curtains and uh, this was towards the end of the depression when things had lifted up. Dad would always, oh, always take us into the country for picnics and... Uh, so what year would this have been? This would have been coming 30, end of 35, 36 maybe. 36, perhaps, yes. The, they, they had timber floors in those days, the cars, and there was a loose board. So uh, any of the kids who wanted to do a pee, they would just lift up the board and they'd sit over it. <laughs> As you were driving. <laughs> As we were driving along. <laughs> so our DNA is all through, scattered all through the hills. Dandenongs. And the... The three older sisters were with us at the time and they were very, very pretty girls. And 
in those days, towards the end of the Depression, boys didn't have cars, but they all had bikes. And there were lots of bike clubs or cycle clubs around. And what they would do was buy the Chesty Bond old white singlet and then dye it into the colour of their club. And you'd see these flocks of boys riding bikes along the road, like you see flocks of birds in the sky. It always reminded me of the birds. And as soon as the older girls saw these boys ahead of us, they'd say to them, the, the hood would always be down in the car. They'd say, down kids, down kids. And we'd all have to drop on the floor and the girls would flirt outrageously with these boys <laughs> on the bikes. <laughs> it was great fun to listen to. And some of the bolder boys would hang on to the back of the car and get a ride up the hills, <laughs> flirting all the time with the girls. So what sort of what sort of things would they be saying to each other in terms of flirting? Oh, just trying to names and things. You know, I, I can't remember. The, it's just a, it tickled me that they would, you know, saying these things or making contact with each other, yeah. because. Uh, being a very quiet and shy child and not going to school till I was eight, I was constantly by my mother's side wherever she went. And I used, and they, I was so quiet, the other women wouldn't know I was there almost or forget about me. And I learned a lot about uh, relationships between men and women. And it was Interesting, I remember one episode where a woman took us up to the uh, to her bedroom and showed us the latest contraceptive. I knew not what a contraceptive was, but the hushed tones, I knew it was something to be listening <laughs> into. <laughs> and she showed, I won't tell you what it is. Um, it was an extraordinary thing. Anyway... So that that was the depression times, but coming out of it with this uh, lovely car made a big difference to our lives, and uh, we then ha uh, had moved to a house that finally had a big backyard and it had a fireplace and lots of rooms in it. We each uh, had our own. Well, the girls had their own bedroom, the boys had their own bedrooms. We we didn't have to double up. During the Depression, we used to sleep four to a bed, two up one end, two down the other end, because we simply didn't have beds and, and rooms. So that's how we slept. Uh, but then uh, towards the end, in the, in the 35, 36, we moved into this lovely house in Preston, and it had the most marvellous backyard with lots of uh, lots of uh, trees. Every house had an apricot tree and a fig tree in those days. And you don't know what an apricot tastes unless you've had it straight from the tree, warmed by the sun. These little solid pellets we buy in the supermarkets these days, <laughs> they're not apricots. And my mother made the most wonderful fig jam which was a great luxury. Uh, we had never, uh, uh, any of the houses did we have inside toilets. 
the toilet was down the end of the yard. It wasn't a dunny at this stage. They had flush toilets, but it wasn't in the house. And I can remember it had the most marvellous bougainvillea bush across it. And uh, we kept chooks too at that stage. Um, but they used to run free, free-range chooks. And Mum used to be able to buy them at the market, little tiny balls of yellow fur, they looked like to me, uh, for a penny a chick. A penny a chick. Yes. <laughs> and we uh, we uh, raised the chooks and they, they gave us a lot of um, eggs, which was wonderful, lovely fresh eggs. And as the chooks got older, my dad used to chop off their heads and the drill was that he'd chop off their heads, dip them into hot water, which obviously loosened the feathers. He'd pull the basic feathers out and then hand them to my mum. And she'd have newspaper on the kitchen table and Dad would have slit them up the belly and Mum would then clean them. And she'd give us an, an, an anatomy lesson as she cleaned them. She'd pull out... Oh, this is the liver, she'd say. Uh, these are the bowels. Oh, this is the little heart. And she'd go through each little uh, organ like that and give us a, a lesson on anatomy. And if we were lucky, she would find unformed egg, un eggs that were ready to be laid but with no shell on them. Oh. And we'd have those, she put those into a bowl and we'd have those as scrambled eggs. And she would bake them. She made the most wonderful stuffing. She, she was the best cook in the world. And she made this most wonderful stuffing, which I make to this day. And uh, we would have stuffed chook, which was wonderful. And the girl, all the older girls were working in that time. And it was the custom coming through Flinders Street Station. At, at uh, there were always uh, flower sellers. Are they still there? Yeah, flower sellers. Yep. And every week, the girls with their pay would buy Mum a bunch of violets, and the other one would buy her a punnet of strawberries. And she would. They'd bring them home, and she'd plunge her nose into them and put them into a vase and it was wonderful the, the the joy that those violets and strawberries gave her she was a much loved woman my mother and she deserved it um what was her name frida frida charlotte she was a german girl who came out but i'll tell you her story later she came out before the first world war and, uh, so where were your older sisters working? Ah, oh, well, they all had to, uh, none of them were educated. They all had to go out to, uh, two of them went into factories and one of them went into uh, a delicatessen retail. Uh, one went into a milliner's factory 
and she learned all about hats and she was able to make hats for herself till the day she died. She'd make her own hats. Uh, she was uh, she was our firstborn and she was a very clever girl and she left the factory and became a cashier at Myers and then which sister was this? This was Roma, the older sister, the firstborn. And then she became a cashier at George's, which was a superior place to Myers. And from George's, she went into oh, other sorts of jobs and worked her way up. She eventually became, became uh, editor of the Reader's Digest books. But when she was up in her 40s or 50s, all the time she was working, she went to Knight University and would further her education until she was one of the most erudite and well-read women, women you'd come across. I remember seeing photos of your sisters when I was growing up and in my mind they were movie stars. They yes, were they were beauties. They were beauties. There's no doubt about it. My mother was a beauty. Uh, anyway, uh, what was I up to? The sisters had jobs. Oh yes, and they had, uh, and the girl, the two younger uh, girls, they met most wonderful men, and they married them, and uh, they they had the lovely, happy marriages with these boys until the day they died. They both died fairly young. And they had the most wonderful children. So something else that I wanted to ask you about, um, given that you know we're in a time at the moment with the coronavirus where everything's quite limited, we've only just been able to start seeing each other again. It's not the first time for you living through something like this, is it? No, I was, in, uh, I was about six or seven when the polio epidemic came and the schools shut but there was no homeschooling of course uh, I think the kids enjoyed it we were lucky at this time to have this wonderful big backyard with lots of trees and we all learned to climb trees it was part of our daily uh, routine and uh, but my older brother Alan he was 11 and uh, we didn't do any homeschooling, but it didn't harm him because he went on to become ducks of the school and to win a scholarship. So, you know, he's, he didn't miss out on his schooling. In the Depression, Mum used to boil the water. She was a very, very hygienic woman. Comes from a German background, of course. <laughs> and she used to boil the water and she used to boil the milk. Now, the extraordinary thing in those days is the milk was delivered at night by a, a bloke with, in a horse and cart and he'd have a big can of milk and you would put your billies out and handling the horses and then he'd handle the milk and scoop it out of the can and put it into people's billies. We didn't have milk bottles in those days. You got your milk loose. 
no wonder there was an epidemic. Yeah, wow. <laughs> and uh, mum used to boil the milk too because she knew what germs were lurking around. And polio had been lurking for some time. A friend of mine had it in 1934 and was crippled in one leg by it. But we didn't hit us till about 36, 37 in the suburbs. And some of the kids in the street died. And there wasn't any lockdown except the schools closed. So far as I know, I'm, I'm talking from a seven, six, seven-year-old child memory. We used to be able to go shopping and one of the things that absolutely appalled me was the, um, uh, you would see like uh, coffins, wooden coffins on wheels. And in these coffins would be little children being wheeled around in the shopping streets. And I can only, I don't know why that was, I can only think that they couldn't afford wheelchairs. These were kids who'd had the polio or had had recovered from the polio. Or perhaps they couldn't bend their little legs to sit in a wheelchair. But you'd see more than one up and down the streets, a coffin on wheels. So was it upright or flat or...? No, it was flat, like a coffin, straight out flat box on wheels and the mother would be wheeling it. And they'd just be in there on their backs staring up at the sky? They'd just be on their backs, the the kids would be on their backs. It was a a terrible time, in many uh, ways worse than this one because it left bad effects, whereas this one doesn't, once you heal, you seem to heal. But with the polio, they had either crippled legs or their lungs, they had to go into iron lungs. And uh, a lot of them died, of course. And, and seeing those coffins would have been terrifying. Oh, it was a, it was a terrible, it was a terrible time, yes. Um, I guess just as now, though, I mean, people wouldn't have really known what to do. They would have just been doing their best. Well, and as I say, there was no lockdown. There was no radio to tell you what to do. No television. So how did you get information then? I'd uh, only buy newspapers. Wow. Newspapers was was some some of the uh, 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 we had a radio eventually. Uh, some of the people had the radios, but um, it was uh, it was in one way it was terrible, but in another way it was lovely to be in the backyard. There were. F- four of us and a baby playing in the backyard and as I say wonderful trees and chooks and so on and uh, I was telling you about the uh, my father chopping the heads off to make us a meal with the chook and one I don't know how we came into it but this is a horror story we came into a turkey and turkeys are big and strong yeah and my father started to chop its head off and it kicked out at him and ran away with half a neck and blood spurting, <laughs> spurting everywhere. 
running around to get back out. And we were all in horror and screaming, you know, Daddy, Daddy. Anyway. <laughs> this is not an episode that's safe for animal activists, is it? <laughs> no, it's not. So um, he finally got it and chopped its head off. We had roast turkey. And wow. I remember the feathers were lovely. We saved the feathers from the turkey too because they were lovely. So yeah. given the way that you guys grew up, there must have been a great appreciation for anything that you had. Oh, indeed. When things got... We were able to... I tell you what, we were a, a um, very labour family, as you could imagine. My father was always a labour man. And uh, w there was one time, though, when we loved Bob Menzies, or Pig Iron Bob, as Pop used to call him. Uh, he brought in the child endowment uh. in the late 40s. And that was the first time I had a new overcoat. I remember it vividly. It was uh, a tealy blue with a dark blue velvet collar oh did we feel lovely in our new overcoats the okay. first time we'd ever had something new thanks to bob menzies mm. that must I'm... have been your most prized possession oh it was for many times many years and then slowly slowly of course things got better and the dad got more jobs and so on and so on there's so much more to tell about the depression but it it is so depressing that uh, I don't think I can go further into it. Even at my age, I could feel the the misery of it all. Oh, absolutely. It yes. would have shaped oh, everything shaped, about you. Yes. And during the Depression in 1935 was the my brother's death. That's been told on another story. And there's a sequel to that. There, we had a half-brother. My father was married before, and this half-brother was, and my brother who died, were the best of, best of friends. They loved each other dearly. And this older half-brother always blamed himself that he should have looked after the younger one. But after he, my brother died in the August, and in the autumn of the following year, my older brother couldn't get a job. This was still 1935. So he decided to, um, what do they call it when they hump, when they take and go off and be, uh, hump the bluey, is it? He went off with his swag. swag over his shoulder and went down to Warrigal to get a job on a farm. And this was the winter following my brother's death. And he, she must have been a pretty miserable woman because she made him sleep in the stables. In winter? Mm. In the middle of winter? It was winter time. And I don't know what sort of blankets he had. Anyway, he caught pneumonia. There were no phones then. He couldn't keep contact with Mum and Dad except by letter, which he did do. But there was no phones to say. But one Friday night, there was a knock on the door and we opened it and it was my brother very, very sick. Very, very sick. 
and it was Friday night, and by Sunday he was dead from pneumonia. And how old were you? I was uh, six, and we'd had two boys, the two older boys die within 12 months. So you could imagine, and this all during the Depression, so you could imagine the gloom and doom that hung over us in that time. Horrible. As well as the what was going on, the immediate family stuff. And so through all of this, your mum and dad, they sound as though, with what you've told me, that they work together as a wonderful team. Oh, to, to feed and bring us up, they did. They worked together to keep the family together. It wasn't a perfect marriage in any way, and there'd be lots of uh, quarrels and bickerings going on all the time, but they worked together as a team to bring their children up. They both loved their children dearly, and they did their best. How did they meet? Oh, I want to tell you that story later on when I tell you my dad's story. Okay. Yes. What else can I say except the depression wasn't great? It was miserable. Um, entertainment through the uh, through the uh, depression was uh, every one night a week. It must have been Sunday nights. The Salvation Army band would play on the corner of the street, and we'd all go down and listen to it. All I can remember is loud, loud honkings. I don't know how musical they were, but it was great fun. And uh, then they would, some of them would sing a hymn, and then they would hand out these religious tracts, trying to convert everybody into being a salvo. But they did a lot of great work in the Depression, as they still do now, the Salvos. And uh, their Salvation Army band, the Salvos are on tonight, we used to yell and we'd all gather around and go down, so only a couple of blocks away from home and uh, listen to them. And there was also a, a, a comic shop thing that went on, um, there used to be a shop that sold comics for a penny or if you had a comic in good condition you could trade it in for another comic and my brother used to be well into that sort of thing and he'd bring them home and uh, I can remember Laurel and Hardy were one of my favourites and The Phantom the Phantom? Yes, The Phantom. And The Phantom always had pretty girls, and I rather fancied myself as one of The Phantom's girls. <laughs> <laughs> and they all had very shapely bosoms, bosoms, you know. And, and what I used to do was suck my belly in, and then there I was a skinny little thing, and there were my ribs hanging over the belly, and I used to imagine that they were my boobs. <laughs> Like a phantom girl. <laughs> <laughs> I never knew that about you. Oh, yes. <laughs> I rather fancied being a phantom girl. At that time when we had the car, we used to go a lot out on picnics. And it was hard to fit, seat everybody in the car. 
So the girls, uh, mum and one the girls made for the twins, they got an old pineapple box and they uh, padded it, made a padded seat and lined it inside and all the food would be put into that. That was the hamper. And mum and the girls would cook all Saturday afternoon for our picnic on Sunday. And the two twins would sit on this pineapple box that was placed immediately behind the front seats so that uh, the leg room wasn't very much for those sitting on the back seats, but at least the two boys had their seat. And we'd go out in um, mushroom time and we'd pick mushrooms. None of us ever died from a poison mushroom. (laughs) (laughs) And that would be a wonderful treat, the freshly uh, caught uh, picked mushrooms. And we'd also go out on blackberries. There used to be a lot of blackberries around in that time and we would take out a big billy and bring it home loaded with blackberries, having stuffed our faces with them as we picked them. And Mum would make the most wonderful blackberry tarts and blackberry jams and so on. Uh, so we What had a... sort of food would you have on your picnic? Always corned beef. Dad loved corned beef. Mum would always cook some corned beef. Or she would make pasties. And her pasties were to die for. And uh, they'd have, they used to make a, a, a jam roll, like a Swiss roll, which was a, 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 a sponge, a flat sponge with lots of jam on it and then rolled up. Yum. And it was delicious. They'd make lamingtons. They were expert. My... Uh, a contribution to that was to roll it into the coconut. The girls would make the cakes, cut them up, ice them, and they'd hand them to me and I would roll them in the coconut. Sunday the, Sunday night would be cold salads and cold meats still, and cakes. And then on, Sunday, on the summer on Sunday nights, we used to go down and climb up onto the, take a blanket and climb up onto the chook roof cage roof and look up at the stars and it was one of the most wonderful feelings to be up there on the chook roof up high and the stars all shining above you it was wonderful and my older sisters were there talking and laughing and talking about boys and fashion and so on and I'd just be there listening in (laughs) I was a great listener in and of course, in the summertime, we'd go down to the beach. And uh, I can remember once Joyce, who was had the most magnificent body, she was the tallest of all the girls, and she had these wonderful legs. And I was playing on the edge of the water, and uh, a group of boys came up to me and they said, Is that your sister? And I said, Yes. They said, What's her name? And I said, Joyce, Joycey. And Oh, they said, and with that they made off and started joicing her, <laughs> making contact. And she was, um, Joycey was double-jointed and could do any acrobatic thing you could think of. And she was so good at acrobatics that the local gym gave her a free um, 
membership because we couldn't afford memberships and such things. But Joyce was so good they wanted her as part of their team. So she was able to go every week for free. And that was, we were all very proud of her. Slowly we came out of the depression. Um, teeth were a big problem because even though there was a, uh, there weren't any local clinics, but there was the clinic in the city, but mum couldn't afford to pay our fares to go into the city. But I remember one time we went in, and this was towards the end when we, things were better, and uh, we were there in the morning and we had to come back in the afternoon. So there we were in the city without any food and there was no way Mum could afford a cafe. So up the top of Burke Street was a continental delicatessen and she went in there and found, much to her delight, a sausage called Braunschweiger. I think that's the way you say it which is a sort of similar to liverwurst, but made with beef, I think, and pork. Uh, so she brought one of those sausages and some rolls, and we went into the Treasury Gardens, and she had in her purse uh, one of the old steel nail files. So she wiped that, washed that and wiped it, and she used the tail end of it as a knife to spread the brown swagger on the rolls and it was the best food you've ever tasted in your life. <laughs> that was my first introduction to foreign food <laughs> as as against what my mother used to make. That's how we did the dentist. But a lot of us lost our teeth pretty early and there wasn't any way we could avoid that. It's extraordinary that you were uh, Memories like this can still come back to you. Yeah, and obviously, yeah. for me, just now watching you. 80 years on, up on you know, yeah. 80, 85 years on. And it's pretty obvious that the memories are right oh, there. Oh, they were painful. The and feelings. Yes. 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 So thank you for sharing all of that. So much for that. Not a, not a thing of joy, but... Um, can't think of much humour no. during that time. No. There wasn't humour at that time. But in in all of that, by the sounds of it, a lot of love within your family. Always love in our family. We we were never short of love. Always love, yes. From the older kids to the siblings and vice versa and from our mother and father. We were never in any doubts about their, their love for us and they did the best they could under the circumstances. That's all you can ask of anyone? Can't ask any more than that from anybody. Yes, And you know my dad, he would always be up at six in the morning to go to work and he would still have the patience to take us out in the car at night during the polio epidemic. He took us, he would take us out in the car to get some different fresh air for a different scenery. And we'd go in, we lived in Preston at the time, and we'd go to what was known as the country, which was Cre Greensboro ah. and Diamond Creek. 
which is suburbs now, of course, yeah. but to us it was the country in those days. And it was such a wonderful treat to get out of the backyard and drive off into the country. Everybody rode bikes in those days, and my when they started their jobs, my two sisters bought themselves a bike on time payment, two and six a week, and they got a beautiful bike each, and they used to go riding all over the place in those bikes, yeah. But two and six a week. Which would be what now? 25 cents. <laughs> but when there's no money, 25 cents is, is a lot. lot of money. There's a lot. Oh, yes. There used to be uh, men travelling in horse and cart selling things. Like there'd be the rabbit bloke, he'd come with the rabbits, and you could get a pair of rabbits for three pence. That's three cents. And they would go up and down the streets in their horse and cart. Rabbit hole, rabbit hole. <laughs> And then there'd be the bottle-o, and he would buy empty bottles. And it was the greatest treasure if you could, when you're out walking, if you could find a bottle. And then when the bottle-o came, you'd get a penny for it, and you'd, you'd get the penny. And then later on, in the Depression, of course, nobody had ice chests or fridges. Things were kept in a cool, guardy safe which was a tin piece, a tin box with holes knocked into it and you would put wet towels over it for it to keep the food cool inside. And then, But then later, towards the end of the Depression, we got an ice chest and there used to be a man would come around a couple of times a week with the ice, you'd have horse and cart, and he'd have ice blocks and he'd come in and shove them into the top of your ice chest. Mum would pay him and we'd all follow him out. And if he was a good bloke, and some of them were, they would give you chips of ice to suck onto. They'd get their thing and chip off some ice and give it to you to suck onto. We'd all follow them. And the milk came in the night time, would be the milk and the milk and cart. And one of the most assuring things was to wake up in the night and hear the clip-clop, clip-clop, clip-clop of the milkman's horse. It was, uh, it was a wonderful, safe feeling. You knew the world was going on. We might leave it there for today. Yeah. So thank you for listening. Yes, and, and uh, I'm <laughs> intrigued that people find this of interest. It's only an old girl's life. And if it's of any interest and entertainment to you, I'm glad. What else can I say? <laughs> I think we can leave it there. Yeah. We'll, um, we hope you enjoy it and we'll yes. be back next week with more stories. Yes. Until then, have a great week, everyone. Thanks for listening. And we'll talk soon. See you next week.